Okay, she's one of our favorites. We have her all the time. We talk history with her. We talk culture stuff with her. She'd rather talk about fashion, but we don't do that here because I of the cargo shorts would just offend her and her English sensibilities. She's also one of them uh, loyalists to the crown, but we'll forgive her that. Sarah Stooks back on the program. How are you, ma'am? I'm good. Thank you. Proud to be British. Long live the king. Uh, yeah, you got a king now. You, you didn't have a king last time I talked to you. You were just starting to get one when we uh, last spoke. Uh, I miss the queen, but he's doing all right. And don't we all? Uh, she writes at electionsdaily.com and a couple other places. UK Mallard, some other folks. She does good work. You've been doing these things. You always do these lists about presidents, and I love them. You did the dead presidents list. I actually want to start with the last one you did. It's a two-part series. It's elections-daily.com. We're going to link to it. Notes will be in the Substack. Make sure you check out the full pieces and all her other great work. The last presidential funeral we had was George H.W. Bush. I was actually at this one. I took my two youngest kids. We went to the rotunda. We stood in line. We were in line about maybe five and a half hours. It was really cold. Um, but you weave through the visitor center. We started actually in front. Of, they had the queue in front of the Supreme Court by about six rows deep, snaking through. Took about five and a half hours. Got in, got up through the rotunda, actually, you know, walked through the rotunda. It was an amazing experience. I had my two younger kids with me. They were younger at the time. I highly recommend that experience to everybody, whatever your politics or whatever, being in line, talking to people all over the country. That was an amazing experience, the state funeral for George H.W. Bush. It was also kind of, for a lot of folks, symbolic, kind of the last president of the World War II era and that generation. There was a lot of symbolism in that. I was in D.C. for the funeral. It was a massive funeral. They had the city shut down. These things are big, big deals. We haven't had a lot of them. We've had, you know, recent memory, we've had Ford and Reagan and Bush. Um, Carter uh, is, of course, on hospice, so he'll probably be next. God forbid something happens to somebody else. These are big deals when they happen, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, like you said, the most recent one is 2018, which is a pretty long time ago. And, you know, obviously, you know, say Jim Carter is in hospice and he's nearly 99. So, you, you know, you can imagine it. Whereas here, our prime ministers are younger. There's nobody older than 80 odd. So, you know, roughly we've probably got, you know, hopefully a while to go. But, yeah, last one was Bush. And I think because, you know, it depends on the president. Some presidents have had really tiny funerals. Then you've had, like, probably people like George Washington where everything was shut down. It, I think it depends on the president, especially if it's sudden. I mean, they had to plan Kennedy's funeral within a couple of days. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because you, you've you done other lists about assassinated presidents, presidents that have died in office, everything from Kennedy getting shot to just, you know, good old-fashioned pneumonia. We've had presidents die in office. It's something that's one of those things that, like, even though historically we know it can happen, we talk about, you know, the vice president's one heartbeat away from the presidency. You never expect it, whether it's a living, like, it's one of those gradual but sudden things, ain't it? You just don't expect these presidents to die, but they're all going to die, and they tend to kind of die in groups. And especially lately, we have older men being presidents, so we're probably going to have a couple more of these in the near future, one way or the other. 
We just don't think about it that way, though, do we? But historically, this is kind of common. Presidents, on average, actually live longer. If you look at people like quite a few have made it over 90, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, Reagan, Ford, Carter, Bush, you know, quite quite a few have actually lasted quite a long time. But yet the ones who have died in office, you know, well, one Harry Harrison was 61, which is fairly old for the time, but he was also stupid enough to walk around D.C. without a coat. So that's, you know, here or there. You know, Zachary Taylor was fairly young, healthy because of the water. Lincoln was shot. Garfield was shot. McKinley shot. Um, well, Hoover was in his 50s very sudden. FDR was very poorly, but he'd been president for like forever. And Kennedy was young and then one day, bam, boom, headshot. It's all very sudden, but when you've got someone like Biden who's over 80, I mean, God forbid something happens, but if it did, it wouldn't be as much of a surprise because he is an older gentleman. Yeah, we have Biden who's over 80 already. Trump's pushing 80. Um, you you would assume, unless they live well into their 90s, which, you know, God bless them if they both do, fine by me, we're going to have more funerals. Let's talk about some of the surprising ones, though, because there's an underlying thing here, too, and you talked about this in other columns that you wrote that we can look at. We've had presidents that have been in very, very poor health. Wilson was incapacitated by a stroke for a wide swath of his presidency. JFK may not have lived through his presidency. They really hit how bad his health was. Um, Eisenhower had a heart attack. We've had other presidents. FDR, of course, died in office, had all kinds of health problems. We've had a lot of presidents with health problems, but those were always hidden. They were always covered up or excused away. The modern age, you can't really get away with that. When Trump had to go for COVID, that was heavily covered. When Biden has any kind of a fall or a slip or a moment, we saw the viral video of Mitch McConnell, the the lead, the Senate majority leader, minority leader now, excuse me, the Senate minority leader, where he has that frozen moment and he's had, you know, health issues and stroke. We see these older people in public office. It's a different age now where you can't hide that stuff. Maybe we should be talking about this more. I did write an, a piece about this last year about uh, called America the Ancient about how old, you know, a lot of your politicians are and like the list of who was over 80 in Congress and that and sort of comparisons like. Joe Biden is older than Dan Quayle. Trump was born a month before Bill Clinton presidency, very separated. Rishi Sunak is younger than all but one of Biden's kids. You know, it's such a massive age gap. It's, I mean, there are reasons behind, you know, younger people want to enter politics, older people vote for people their age. People like Nancy Pelosi probably have a lot of time and funding behind them. But, you know, it's it's worrying. You know, Diane Feinstein as well. I know she had trouble recently. The, there's questions about her health. And it brings up the idea of term limits as well. People, I know Nikki Haley's a strong advocate for that, and I'm sure quite a few other politicians are. Whether that will ever be implemented, I don't know. But, you know, they're like my grandparents' age. I can't imagine my grandparents in congress or even the white house and i'm sure many people with grandparents or even parents the same age would think the same way yeah sarah stuck joining us it's interesting if we have trump and biden again and this was true the last time they faced off in 2020 their combined age would reach back to the civil war that's how it's old like, they are combined it's like it's just staggering how close they are to i mean biden's closer nearly to lincoln's assassination his birth than to now 
and it's truly astounding. I mean, it's like having, you know, Thomas Jefferson was, what, 83 when he died. Can you imagine him still being president at 83? It's mad. Yeah, Sarah Stuck joining us. What's one or two presidential deaths when you sat down and did this list that kind of struck out to you? Maybe ones that maybe a presidency or a president that folks just don't talk about or maybe a famous one that they're just not aware of how they died. Which ones kind of stuck out to you? Well, I think, you know, you always remember the assassinations and the deaths in office, but quite a few sort of died quite quietly. Nixon and Ford both died. And Nixon was in a really interesting one because he was, you know, castigated for Watergate and he was a prize for years, but then he sort of came back as an elder statesman and had a very respectable funeral with lots of mourners, which is, you know, fascinating because you think, oh, everyone probably hated him. But he sort of, you know, historically, people still attack him, but there are people who are usually lower down on the list of worst presidents. You know, James Buchanan's usually absolute bottom, and he didn't, you know, bug his en enemies HQ. So, yeah, he's the one that sort of he died quietly. And not to make you feel old, I wasn't even alive when he died. The timeline on some of these are interesting. One thing you pointed out, you think about Lyndon Johnson and Harry Truman being kind of different eras of presidents, but they died a month apart. So you yeah. have, when you look through these histories, you have little nuggets like this that are really, you know, Reagan died really close to Ford. There was kind of this cluster of them because Reagan, but Reagan was sequestered for the last 10 years of his life because of the Alzheimer's and things like that. It's interesting, the little tidbits and nuggets that you find in these stories like this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, LBJ was very unhealthy, so no doubt contributed to an early death. You know, he had heart attacks, he smoked, he ate rubbish, you know. So, you know, things like that. Then you have someone like James Monroe, who was the, uh, Madison, sorry, the biggest hypochondriac, and he was about 85 when he died. So, you know, it's pretty amazing how we were all worried about his health and all sickly, but he made it to 85, which, you know, back in the early 1800s is a very good age. And then presidents who had reputations for being rather clean living. Of course, Lyndon B. Johnson was a very profane, hard-charging man, so it probably didn't really shock people that he had a third heart attack and died. But you have guys like Calvin Coolidge and Warren Harding who had a reputation that was pretty solid, but they both died very young, 57 and 60, respectively. Theodore Roosevelt was 60, and he was, you know, outdoorsy man. He didn't, he, well, he said because he got really ill when they were charting uh, the Amazon, and he said it's taken a few a good decade off my life, and he was probably right in that respect. But, you know, Coolidge died suddenly, had a thrombosis, embolism, same with Roosevelt. So, yeah, some just sort of, of course, there are health conditions, you know, Hoover, I mean, sorry, Harding had a heart condition that nobody knew about, you know, these things happen. You just don't know. And obviously back going even further than that, there's still questions about people's health because you can't really, you, you can't know, especially when it's older illnesses that you don't really have anymore, like diphtheria or typhoid, which, you know, obviously still happen, but not in the Western world. So it's less understood. 
Yeah, Sarah said joining us. Okay, historically, outside of the assassinations and those things, probably the most famous one, since it you know involves the founding fathers, is probably Jefferson and Adams. It's such a cool story. It's been told a million times, but it's just fascinating that they died. And the story you tell the story because it's everybody learns it in school, of course. But it's just it, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, this can't have been accidental, right? It's fascinating. They have sort of a symmetry, you know, they weren't too far apart in age. And like they were frenemies, you know, like their politics were different. They would eventually attack each other. But at the same time, the Adamses look at, looked after Tom, uh, Jefferson's daughter while they were both all in Paris. And that's her death is what caused Abigail to send a letter to Jefferson. And they sort of, over the decades, Adams tend to send more than Jefferson would sort of talk, not talk, but Jefferson's last words were, were um, allegedly, is it the fourth? But it was probably something else. Is it the fourth? It was near his last words, but it sounds a bit better as last words, doesn't it? And obviously Adams died later in the day, not knowing Jefferson had died and said, oh, Thomas Jefferson survives and pegged it. And it was July the 4th, 1826, 50 years after the Declaration of Independence, which is like the perfect, almost the perfect day it's so, you know, you couldn't write it. If that was in a film, you'd think, oh, that wouldn't happen. But, yeah, it's kind of amazing. And they both lived very long lives, which, you know, people like George Washington didn't live that long and people after them. So they were sort of, well, John Adams was the first to make 90. It would be a very long time before anybody would. Yeah. And then you have people like Andrew Jackson who lived long enough to be photographed. So it's yeah. really interesting how history, it's always, history is both further away and closer than we ever think it is, isn't it? Uh, Sarah Stook joining us. I promised I would ask you this when I got you back on, but I have to explain to your British sensibility because you don't have bison in the UK. Just because it's friend shape doesn't mean it's friend. Leave the fluffy murder cows alone. But I promised I would let you talk about the fluffy murder cows and the bison and tourists who will not leave the bison alone. I mean, I have a thing where I like to breathe and live so you know i wouldn't go and hop a fence and try and cuddle a bison but you, they are so cute it's like you see these wild animals like snow leopards and tigers and you think if they weren't going to kill me you would want to cuddle them so much it's like a giant version of my cat and it's probably friendly because my cat doesn't like me very much they are big they are noisy they do a lot of grunting and other noises that we won't talk about on a family-friendly program they're extremely hairy so they're very dirty they smell bad they have very small brains they're very large they're very fast and they're very cranky you need to just leave them alone we call them fluffy murder cows for a reason yeah but it's very it's very let's be fair it's very, a very american thing people go and pet wild animals that they shouldn't it is it's like the most american thing ever let's be realistic here it's yeah, so you the, the most American thing ever is we have a tourist industry that's based on charging people to fly here and get in dangerous situations with animals. That's pretty American. We like that. So that works out good. Uh, Sarah Stooks back with us. Uh, real quick before we let you go, we talked about um, Harding for just a minute, but you're actually going to be writing a little bit more about Warren G. Harding. You find him interesting. Well, by the time this goes out, hopefully it will have been the 2nd of August, which is the 100th anniversary of Harding's death. So I've written a piece about him. Hopefully it should be out on that day, sort of chronicling his life, his politics, his relationship with his wife, um, his illegitimate child mistresses, his presidency, his death, and then the legacy, which has actually changed quite a bit. People actually are more sympathetic to him. You know, at first everyone was really sad he died. He was very popular and stuff about Teapot Dome and his illegitimate child came out. 
but now sort of historians are sort of softer about him in a way. They say, you know, he wasn't the absolute worst, but, you know, he did some good things. He helped the economy. He was very anti-racist, which when you're after Woodrow Wilson is a miracle because that dude was very racist. Yeah, people, if you haven't been familiar with one of the big keys to the racial strife in America is Woodrow Wilson's presidency. You really need to read up on it, especially how he treated black veterans coming back from World War One. something I personally take great offense to. But you need to read up on all that stuff. Sarah Stuck, always enjoy talking history with you, my friend. Let folks know where they can read you, follow you. We're going to link to everything we just talked about. Let folks know how they can keep up with you till we get you back on her tell again. Uh, well, Elections Daily, I'm doing a weekly uh sort of diary of Nikki Haley's presidential campaign. I know that others are doing ones for like people like Ron DeSantis and Trump, so also make sure you read theirs. Uh, Mallard, I'm doing about consorts of England and Great Britain, which is always fun because I like doing about historical... That's a British history. term. you got to explain what the consort is because... Well, it's like the first lady, but for the king or the queen, because obviously we've had queens, which you've never had a female leader, though. Well, we're working on it. <laughs> Three elected, even though one lasted like a week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sir, stuck. Love having you, my friend. Good talking. We'll have you back again soon. All right. Great. Bye. Thank you, ma'am. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. So Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcast or at www.thesweatypenguin.com. <laughs>